Hello? Were you actually accusing me of murder? The way I see it, Senor Bob, is whoever is working with her ain't who they say they is. And if it's you, that means Minnie and her man ain't at her mama's. They laying out back there dead somewhere. Or if it's you, little British man, the real Oswaldo Mowbray laying in a ditch somewhere and you just an English fella passing off his papers. Or we go by my theory. Which is the ugliest guy did it. Which makes it you, Joe Gage. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And today, we are talking another Quentin Tarantino film. But I think this is the inverse of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because we're talking about my favorite Tarantino film, which is The Hateful Eight. And I know that's probably shocking to a lot of people. Why would this one, which feels almost middle of the road in terms of his filmography, to a lot of people be my favorite? But... I am a sucker for a stagey whodunit, and that's kind of what The Hateful Eight is. I don't think it's his best film. I think Pulp Fiction is still the one that is going to go down in history as the one that's most influential and, and I think best written and all that stuff. But, boy, I can't get enough of The Hateful Eight. Unfortunately, I did not have a good viewing this time around. Which, Uh-oh. I know, I know. And listen, the first time I ever watched this film was the pirated cam version. And immediately, <laughs> as soon as I watched it, I was like, that was fucking amazing. I immediately purchased my roadshow ticket and had to drive like an hour out to go find a theater that was playing the roadshow version. And I did, and I loved it. And then more watches of the pirated version because I just needed to keep watching it. It came out on home video. And then I've been watching the theatrical version since then. And for the first time, I decided I, I want to watch that roadshow version. How can I do it? The Netflix extended version. Boy, this does not lend itself to miniseries. And I know Quintertino edited it, apparently. But I did not like the way that it was put together. I think the... Even though I watched it straight through, the cuts in between didn't work for me. And all the extra scenes that I noticed, because I've been watching it so often, that, I, I you know, the stuff that I'm not familiar with, like, oh, that's that's, that's a new one. I was like, why was that in the... Cut that out! So I think the theatrical version is probably the one that I'm going to stick with from now on. Maybe I just want an overture and an intermission. Maybe that's just what I want in the theatrical version. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have a copy of this in my iTunes library. So I just, you know, normally go to Apple TV, search for... Because you and I both, like, our our, our libraries are, um, I guess proudly uh, extensive but also causes problems if you just want to try to scroll through all of your little squares so i usually just 
do the search and it'll tell me like one, if I own it, because I forget a lot of times. Uh, so if I don't, it'll have the, I guess, app of choice that you can go to, to, to watch this, be it, you know, HBO stars, what have you. And I clicked on it. And then I think I was about 20, 30 minutes in web. And I thought, Oh no, should I be watching the longer version? Cause I don't have it. I, you know, my iTunes copy is the theatrical version. And I, going through scratching my head i'm like oh yeah didn't he make some sort of deal with netflix and he was like you know he's much like spielberg very anti-netflix i guess from a philosophical point of view but yeah i remember this being a big deal because it's like well the longer version on netflix you know it's chapters and it'll work i started it and just the mere idea of having this be episodic in nature where I felt like I was binging something on Netflix was so distasteful that I got <laughs> right back out and went to my iTunes copy. They didn't look any different, mind you. I just couldn't get over that hump in my head. Like you, I went to the Roadshow version at our art house theater, which had it projected on film and had the intermission. And I went to the lobby with everyone else, like in the theater. And it's like, you know, you, it's just like people were mulling about and then the light comes on telling you when it's time to go back in. That was a fantastic experience. That does not translate to Netflix at all. It just doesn't work. So yeah, I just watched the theatrical version uh, for this conversation. I think it's a great film. I, I, I think it's, it's my favorite. Like I mentioned, I love all of the, excessive conversations that are in between each kind of not action set piece but I, I suppose between each moment of violence the fact that you can't really attach yourself to any of these characters and that's one of the things that tarantino mentioned before the film was released he's like these are all legitimately hateful characters they are this is the hateful eight so you're not going to like any of them but i'm like well, that it doesn't work you can't have a film without a protagonist but I think that's kind of the point of this film. And I think it was also very socially relevant and politically relevant, especially right now, maybe always. The fact that this takes place shortly after the American Civil War and I'm finding commonality between that and America 2021 is a little disturbing. I mean, granted, I don't know how much research was done. I I, do, I, I think that Tarantino likes the historical fiction subgenre, but I don't know how much effort he's willing to put into historical accuracy. There are two lines that really stick out. Uh, one is when, uh, with Walton Goggins, it's built up to, uh, and I'm going to obviously edit it for <laughs> this, but he says, because when black people are scared, that's the only time when white folks are safe. And then later on, you have Samuel Jackson's character, Marcus Bourne. The only time black folks are safe is when white folks is disarmed. And both really great lines, mirrors of each other. And I find it fascinating because right after Walton Goggins says it, as they're heading to Minnie's haberdashery, Sam Jackson pulls out the gun and kind of threatens him. And Walton Goggins' response to it is, no, 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 no. You done got me talking politics. And I'm like, <laughs> well, that's interesting. Because is that the one and the same thing? Is there a discrepancy between being a racist and being just somebody who's generally civil, but still being like, oh, yeah, black people are not as good as white people or or any race, really. And so it's like, are these good people and can they get together and even when they're 
working together towards a common goal, which kind of happens in the climax of this film. Where the heck are we? Because it's frustrating to live in this time right now and, and after uh, this, this post-Trump presidency that has shined a light on a certain group of individuals. I remember when Trump was elected, I would have to go to work with people who voted for him. Despite his pro-white agenda, it's like, well, I'm willing to to look past the, all of the racist stuff because these are the things that are more important to me. But it's like, yeah, but you're my friend. We work together and we know each other really well. And you're willing to say your life is not as important and the things that matter to you aren't as important as what matters to me. But hey, let's still get along. Well, it's worse than that. It's not just what Webb's most important shit is. It's actually like your life <laughs> is less important than these things that they're like interested in, which may be uh, a tax break or something of that nature. Uh, that's where, if you you know follow that thread, it gets. Uh, I mean, it goes. I mean, at best, uh, insulting and at worst, uh, harmful uh, with their actions. Which you know, I'll I'll pull us back a little bit, maybe to more humorous grounds, and saying, so would you say that you work with a lot of Walton Goggins types of characters <laughs> in your office? Well, the trouble is, when you work in law enforcement, you tend to run into those individuals more often than not. And here's the trouble: I don't consider them to be racist, but they support political. <sighs> individuals who push that specific kind of agenda. They watch Fox News. Like, I can go into, like, one of the district stations in my city and see that, you know, Fox News is on and they have a specific agenda that they're pushing. And so it's like, well, how am I supposed to feel about that? Is that what they, you know, are those... You can't cherry pick. You just can't. You mm. can't be like, okay, I support this individual uh, because he, yes, you're right, he's going to give me a tax break and all this, and I'm okay with the fact that he is racist towards everybody. And, and so it's like, I, it is a very difficult and complicated time. And again, I don't want to paint somebody as just, oh, you're a racist because you support this individual. Well, I don't know. Things are more complicated than that. Similar to how I look at, like, like I mentioned the climax. Ultimately, you've got uh, uh, Mark Sworn and, and uh, Mannix who are kind of the, at each other's throats throughout the entire film. But they are both on one side by the end of it. And so you maybe there's a little bit of positivity. You've got a white guy and a black guy joining forces for a common purpose, knowing that they're both are going to be dead soon. And they're administering their own brand of lawful justice with a very hateful passion. They both come to an understanding about like kind of the, the futility almost of the Emancipation Proclamation. You've got that letter that Sam Jackson writes to disarm white people. And it's funny to me, like Walton Goggins after reading it, he's like, that was nice. And then he crumples it up and throws it away. <laughs> and as a, so similar to how some people like your unfortunate Kentucky Senator Mason Verger, like he believes that electing uh, President Obama is a sign that racism is in decline in America, which is just not the case. But can we look at the ending of this film and have any kind of positivity? Despite the fact it's my favorite Tarantino film for other reasons. But I began to think quite a bit about the social and political aspects. Though they're thinly veiled and brief, they are still there. 
how do you ever watch this film and think about any of this stuff? Because that's how I came at this film this time around. Maybe it's because I was watching the crappy extended version. And I was like, you know, <laughs> in a place. When we're talking about the, the Lincoln letter that uh, Warren carries with him, that the Kurt Russell character who for a stretch, I think would be considered the main character. He is the, um, the, the, the narrative thrust is, uh, what this particular bounty hunter is doing uh, on his way to, I guess, reunite the nation by hanging Jennifer Jason Lee <laughs> for our, our amusement. <laughs> um, and the the way that uh, that plays out in the scene where Kurt Russell's character becomes aware that this this mythic figure, in a way, you know, he's the the, the hangman that he has been made fun of in a way. Uh, because he was caught unawares, uh, you know the fact that John Ruth could be disarmed uh, by this bit of fiction uh, from the Warren character, and then you have an idiot as played by Walton Goggins and Mannix, who is just laughing at him, pointing and laughing like it's very schoolyard uh, in that way. Yeah, I felt like that the way John Ruth handles it, if you put it in a modern sensibility, felt very much like how a white progressive can feel good about himself for like, well, I was on the right side. I didn't fight for the Confederate army, but if a black person in any way ever shows superiority to him, in this case, uh, making him feel foolish by fooling him with something that, uh, this black man is using for survival in essence to, you know, it, and literally it gets him on the stagecoach out of the winter storm, uh, to shelter and safety. And yet he he is in his feelings about the fact that you lied to me. <laughs> he doesn't consider why uh, that Lincoln letter was even created. It's just the fact that you made me look silly in front of people who I consider beneath me. In a roundabout way, he does, I think, consider Major Warren beneath him as well, even though they operate on fairly similar terms. They're both bounty hunters. They're both chasing people down and killing them. The technical distinction is that I guess in the their chosen preference on how their bounties meet their their end. I would say that I agree with uh, Sam Jackson character and maybe the more practical bent. And also, I mean, if you do it that way, there's no movie, right? <laughs> there's no way. <hate> like, if, <laughs> right. if John Ruth was not known as the Hangman, then this trap could not be set for them at the haberdashery uh, because they would know as soon as he got hands. On the Jennifer Jason Lee character, she is shot dead and is brought in dead as opposed to alive. So, yeah, it's the arrogance um, from some of the people, I guess, on the right side of history uh, that doesn't put them in the best light. Um, I I don't remember the Walton Goggins character. I don't remember as much pushback for like a self-proclaimed racist who f- fought and was proud of his fighting for the Confederacy being seen as controversial. I I remember like the violence, maybe the violence against a woman was like kind of talked about. Uh, But it's interesting. Like there was a lot of pushback to um, the three billboards uh, where you have the Sam Rockwell character who was a racist cop who ends up having an arc where he does something slightly heroic, still frontier justice in a way, but he has a turn where he's helping and aiding our main character in her quest for, for revenge 
uh, and there was a lot of pushback there. Like, how could the, how could this movie portray a racist cop as doing something quasi noble? Do you remember any of that with Walton Goggins? I, maybe it was because Sam Rockwell ended up winning an Oscar for that particular role, but I don't remember it for Hateful Eight. Or it's just the Tarantino stamp where people are like, well, you know how he is. Like, <laughs> they just have no <laughs> expectation of him being, uh, you know, uh, polit- politically kind, I guess. Yes, there's. I think that it's a two-pronged answer here. What Half of it is that. Yeah, Tarantino tends to get away with whatever, and while it can generate a little bit of controversy... He's ultimately like Teflon here. That's not going to stick to him. The other thing was that at the time of its release, there were, I mean, then there still are a lot of African-American individuals being killed by police. And so he engaged in part of that conversation calling the police officers murderers. And then there was a lot of pushback on that. So that really took the spotlight more so than the movie itself and so there was like a little bit of a boycott a bunch of law enforcement agencies were boycotting his film and when the box office returns were not that of like Django I guess uh they kind of took pride in that and I I don't think that uh, that's why it didn't do as well I'm not sure why it did I mean it's a long film and all that but yeah ultimately I don't think I think that took over uh, the conversation more so than anything else I'm glad you mentioned the hangman because yeah, let's let's get away from some of the uh, horrible aspects of the film that is this you know this viewing made me think. This movie's your favorite, huh? That's what listeners are thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be by the end of this recording. I I love the writing here, uh, as always. Tarantino is bringing his A game. He can't he can't bring anything less, man. Uh, I love how wonderful the myth making is. Even like the Maddox uh, Marauders, the Maddox Marauders, there is a weird, (laughs) I I guess, almost levity to them. The fact that they were fighting till the very end on the wrong side. They knew they were all going to lose. But there's a weird kind of respect that even uh, Marcus Warren gives him in that slight nod towards the end when Maddox does not accept the deal that Daisy Domrecu is offering. That's the only moment in the film where I feel it's maybe a misstep. Like he goes into the, he, he slows it down literally to where the delivery from Sam Jackson is like, you know, it's, it's this like extended, like no where it's I don't know if he's trying to, to, to stretch the moment out to where you're in doubt on what uh, this previous Confederate soldier will do when, offered this absurd deal uh from a woman saying there's you know all of these gang members are going to come swarming into town and blah 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 i don't i never feel that actually plays like i'm i, I don't know i'm never actually in doubt that manix is going to turn at that moment and i don't know if it's the way jennifer jason lee plays it i feel like after you've been shot <laughs> by your enemy combatant in this cabin that i don't give a shit what you say to me you are dead. Like, this is not, you can't <laughs> offer anything to me that I want. And I don't know if that's my inherent, like, rage bubbling up that I just, I don't, I, like I said, if I'm in the movie, like in the last episode, you towards the end said, you know, which, which uh, juror do you see yourself as or which one would you like to play? I have a very hard time uh, saying any of them <laughs> at all. <laughs> but, 
because I think like the gunfight is immediate. Like there's no there's no pause in it. Uh, I I'm just gonna say that uh, I'm not gonna go with anything politically motivated. I'll just say uh, Michael Madsen's character because I'd like to believe that you know <laughs> he does have fond feelings about his mother. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I like to believe that's not a lie. <laughs> I did not see it as a misstep. I really, really enjoyed that little turn because Maddox is kind of a flaky character. And I could see him kind of being a weasel becoming kind of like, okay, well, what can I do to survive this ordeal? I I think more of a misstep is the slow motion, the, the technical aspect of it where Sam Jackson... I don't know why this was a choice. You're going to make yes. a deal yeah. with this. I was like, was that necessary? I don't know if that was necessary, but I kind of like the turn because you get that moment with Goggins being no deal, tramp. Like, I enjoyed all that. <laughs> you know, speaking of which, a lot of the anti-woman stuff, I know there was, there might have been a little bit of controversy there too. But yes. Jennifer Jason Lee, I think she should have been nominated for Best Actress, not Supporting, because, I mean, she is... Granted, it's an ensemble piece, but she is very much the heart of this film. I think she should be nominated for her her reading of the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novel, which <laughs> is probably her best work. <laughs> the fact that she read it, the fact she made it through that thing, uh, I think, web. gives her an award. <laughs> she took me on a roller coaster ride of emotion because you're feeling sorry for her in the beginning, and as the uh, script is being slowly revealed, the Everything is kind of the hands are being shown and the, where everyone stands. I, I I think her work here is stupendous, and I feel bad that she didn't uh, get the Oscar uh, because ah, that would have been nice. Uh, did you do you have any issues with the treatment of this one lone female character? Even though you know she's kind of prominent in her gang, so maybe that's a plus. But yeah, there's quite a bit of violence against this uh, horrible woman. Ooh, that's a difficult question because uh, on the face of it, no, I don't have it because I I believe uh, you know that this is not I don't I don't believe that the genre's character is lying to me when he says she's a criminal. So if I if I accept <laughs> those parameters where she's a part of this gang, that later on in the film we will see just all of the innocent people that they are willing to murder. Uh, when they're begging for their lives just so they can use this shelter as a trap to be set for John Ruth. I have no sympathy. Once we get to the flashback, no, all, all bets are off. You you can do with this, this Domergu gang as you please with me. I don't remember any, I mean, is there a controversy over, I guess, you know, spoiler alert for the six-year-old movie, Channing Tatum uh, just getting shot <laughs> in the head like almost immediately <laughs> when he pops up from the little trap door. Uh, I don't remember that, so I don't, I don't remember any pushback for Reservoir Dogs. Uh, you know, this is probably especially now, but a, a cop getting his ear sliced off. Like, there's been all manner of crimes against uh, humanity in the Tarantino verse as far as what characters are willing to do one another. Saying nothing of the Gimp sequence. Uh, in Pulp Fiction, my God. So, no, I, I do not. It is interesting, though, because Tarantino has apparently been after Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, he wanted her originally for this part. 
And I feel like the violence, this is probably being a little bit ageist, would have hit home more than if you had Katniss from the Hunger Games being strung up <laughs> by <laughs> a racist <laughs> and Sam Jackson and them reveling in it as their last act. I don't know if that makes my take more offensive. I'm like, well, Jennifer Jason Lee like is a well-established veteran and like has played... I don't think she's known as some sort of pop culture icon. I think she's known as like actress, like capital A, and has played darker parts uh, before. I think that it, it would have been courting controversy more if uh, Katniss Everdeen <laughs> was in that role. Uh, and apparently, I think he wanted her also for uh, the Sharon Tate part in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So he just could, keeps getting shot down by Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I think it could have worked here. You're not going to touch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for me. That film's perfection. This one, this this racist tripe that you're rolling out there, uh, Webb, this <laughs> anti-woman thing, do with it as you must. But no, I, I would say not, although I could historically we probably are not used to seeing uh, a female character uh, put on a pedestal in this way as like evil incarnate. And we're going to like there's been a lot, a lot of terrible ways that Hollywood have represented women as sex objects, but they really put her up. She's like the Kaiser Soze of yeah. this world. And in some ways that's a credit to it. And, but it's still, I could still understand how people are uncomfortable with the violence against her character. Oh, certainly. You, especially if you have those moments, like even as she's being uh, hanged, you want <laughs> major Marcus Warren. It's like telling her, hold on, Daisy, I want to watch. He's trying to get a better view of it. Like, it's it's very difficult to watch. And as <laughs> as I reflect 20 minutes prior to me saying it's my favorite film, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really more my love for, again, the staginess of it, uh, the dialogue, the performances, and the whodunit aspect of it. I love being right in the middle of uh, Daisy's Got a Secret. That chapter where uh, you hear Tarantino's narration and he's going through and establishing the second half of this film. It is just mind-bending to me. I, I couldn't believe that I was in the middle of a whodunit. And I, just wonderful. So as that's the stuff that I really like. Where do you place this? in Tarantino's filmography. Because mm. I know we uh, both ha were very positive on it initially. Django is the one that is like, that maybe is the only one that is in a, a separate tier. Like, if we're not getting into like four rooms territory. Because I'm a huge fan of Death Proof. I went on a, uh, a podcast. Um, I think it was called The Best and the Worst of the Best. Uh, and they would take a filmmaker and... Like, I can't remember what barometer they used, whether it was Rotten Tomatoes or what, but what was considered the best of their work and the worst. And I went on uh, because I love Death Proof, and that was considered the worst thing Tarantino's done. And I was, I was, I guess I was a bad guest because I did not play along <laughs> with this premise at all. I was like, well, this is horse shit for one. <laughs> Death Proof is great. Now, Django, that's, <laughs> that's the one where, and I don't even really, like, I rewatched it recently because it came up on this podcast. I mean, we're joking, but we, this year we have covered Inglorious Bastards once upon Tom Hollywood, now the hateful eight. And so Tarantino has been on our mind. And I actually gave a revisit to Django recently, just because of that. I'm like, was it like, why did I have such a reaction to it where I was like, it's okay. But that one is uh, a tier below. 
for me is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Glorious Bastards Pulp Fiction. It's, it's like those those are ones that are up there. And then, you know, I, I, I would say if I had a more personal favorite, it probably would be Death Proof, which uh, unlike you, you son of a bitch, uh, the women folk <laughs> get to have their <laughs> revenge. <laughs> but I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, I'm not going to backpedal like I've seen this a few times. And I've enjoyed it. I find it immensely entertaining. And I love probably my favorite part of it is uh, Samuel L. Jackson as the investigator as playing this kind of Sherlock Holmesy bit where he can look across the room. He's looking at the candy spilled on the floor. He has prior history with Minnie's haberdashery. I love watching his mind work without any dialogue. I love him putting the piece together. I love him knowing that he's going to bait this old Confederate soldier into pulling his pistol on him, knowing that he will best him in that, that draw. And then the little smile, the twinkle in his eye, he gives at the rest of the room as he knows he has baited this man into being lawfully executed. <laughs> I, there's a lot of that. I, I just love that Samuel Jackson after Pulp Fiction, I feel like this is the one where Tarantino really gave him a part, a leading part to sink his teeth into. Uh, that being said, he's still the best part of Django. The one that I like the least. I like his character the most in Django unchained. I feel like he does the most interesting work. I think Leo does the most interesting work and the most un-Leo like I, I loved the pure ruthlessness of his character in that nope. film. He he does he tops that with the margarita and the, the drive that's, <laughs> that's him being ruthless. Get off my fucking street. <laughs> my favorite character in the Hateful Eight has to be Walton Goggins. And it's frustrating to me because earlier hey, I mentioned You're just digging that whole web just <laughs> I like the violence because against the ladies. <laughs> I, like I didn't say Goggins. that. <laughs> <laughs> Walton Goggins, I, he's such a good performer. Uh, he's done such good work. I like The Shield, he was awesome in The Shield. I've seen a little bit of Justified, and from what I've seen, he's quite good in it. I think he does get typecast as a very specific kind of a racist mm-hmm. character. But a racist character that you kind of find yourself either empathizing with or enjoying their misadventures and the when they're little... talking about which one of them poisoned the the coffee pot. yes <laughs> and he you know he brings manix over uh samuel jackson's character uh and says you know you almost drank the the coffee like it couldn't have been you and he realizes he makes that connection uh that while he may have not been a specific target uh for this trap that all participants in that room were cool with letting Mannix die. <laughs> and his line is like, yeah, or me, God damn it. Like when he finally, finally makes that connection. <laughs> that is why the lines that he has and the, the delivery that he gives and the, the assertion that he has that Joe Gage, Michael Madsen, is the <laughs> ugliest of it. them in the fun. So good. Because I... <laughs> I think this every single time I see Michael Madsen. I'm like, god damn, he was an attractive son of a bitch in Reservoir Dogs. The fuck happened? And so, <laughs> I'm glad I get to... Poor man. Be... Just wanted to see his mother at Christmas. His poor mother <laughs> at Christmas. <laughs> 
I, I I'm just on Walton Goggins' side in that moment. I'm like, you're right, buddy. I, I it's it's you know it's funny the things that bring us together. Like Walton Goggins <laughs> might be, oh, excuse me, Mannix, not Walton Goggins, might be a giant racist who believes that the whites are the superior race. But we both bond over the fact that we both think that Michael Madsen's no longer an attractive man. <laughs> We'll all we'll all make it. We'll all make it as a human race, Mike. We'll all make it. We find these common threads. I feel like this is your hatred for the whole bloody affair version of Kill Bill never coming out, and you're taking it out on <laughs> the poor beaten down Bud who's cleaning up shit in a strip club. <laughs> on a dark road, huh? Next time you want to try that, fix your fucking muffler. Look, we're really sorry we disturbed you. Look, Chief, you don't belong here. Now take this mechanical asshole and get it off my fucking street! to turn it around. Well, drive it backwards, dumb nuts, but fucking drive it and drive it now. Okay, okay, stop yelling. Hold your horses. We're leaving. What the hell are you looking at, you little ginger-haired fucker? Hey, come around here again. I'm gonna call the fucking cops. Dirty fucking hippies. 